So tonight we're going to talk about what's called right samadhi, this Pali word samadhi, which is typically con translated as the word concentration. So when you hear people use the word concentration, that's what they mean, samadhi. Um, it turns out there's not just one way to talk about that samadhi is understood and talked about and taught. And so I can't tell you the one right, correct understanding of right samadhi. I'm going to talk to you about several different understandings. And please keep in mind that there's not a right or wrong with this. And it's not like one understanding is better or more correct than the other. And you'll see what I mean as we get into the topic a little bit. Okay. So, in a, in, a, in a little while, I'll actually define right samadhi as in the Eightfold Path, but in order to really understand it, I want to back up first and make some general comments about samadhi. You notice I'm using the word samadhi rather than using the English word concentration. I could go either way, uh, but I'm just choosing to use the Pali here because the word concentration can have certain connotations. So I want to explain about some of the different ways it can be understood. Um, and I want to talk a little bit about some of the different ways that concentration is taught in relationship to insight meditation. And then we'll finally get into right samadhi itself. But we have to have some background here. For any of you who've ever uh, taken on a practice of bringing mindfulness into your daily life, and say, for example, you decide, okay, I'm going to try and be aware moment to moment the best I can. So maybe, I don't know, whatever, you're driving in a car and you say, okay, I'm going to feel my hands on the steering wheel. That'll be my anchoring point. Or I'm going to stay with my breathing through whatever I'm doing. Perhaps you're going to feel your feet walking as you walk or just being aware in any way you can, as much as you can in the moment. So you have this wholesome, beautiful, sincere intention and you're mindful of a few breaths. And then eight hours later, you wake up and realize, oh yeah, I forgot, I'm trying to remember to be mindful. <laughs> if that's ever happened to you, you've experienced mindfulness without the support of samadhi, of concentration. That's very different, as you'll see when we talk about what samadhi is, mindfulness with concentration. It's a total, it's a completely different state of mind. So we often most commonly translate, as I said, the word samadhi to mean concentration. It actually has the meaning undistractedness. Undistractedness. Right? There's a lot of different ways that that undistractedness is understood, and I want to name two that are important and then we'll come back and see why these two are important and they're very different. If you're meditating and say you're working with the breath and you're focusing at one particular point, maybe it's at the nose or the belly, wherever. If you kept practicing over time and strengthened the ability of the mind to focus and concentrate on the breath, if you took it far enough, 
it's possible to, to strengthen that ability of the mind to concentrate so much that it could stay, it, it's called one-pointed because the mind could stay more and more narrowly on this point. In this, it, in this case, it's the, it's the breath. We're calling it a point on one thing exclusively. You would never wander away. In fact, you could take that so far. Now, this is getting quite far, but it's possible to, to take that exclusive one-pointed concentration so far that you could be so, and it could be on anything, but I'm using the example of the breath, you could be so much on this, the breath that you literally don't notice anything else. In fact, you lose awareness of everything else. You, if someone were, you wouldn't hear sounds, you wouldn't feel your body anymore. You could be so locked onto this one point because the ability of the mind to concentrate on a single point has been strengthened so much. So it's possible to do that. And that's one form of, some, of concentration or samadhi. And I call it an exclusive, meaning it excludes everything else. And it's exclusively on one thing in this example, the breath. But it could be whatever you use to focus on, right? And so as you, if you're practicing in that way, there's ways you can practice to do this, which maybe we'll be able to talk about tonight. You, even if you're not, even if you haven't taken it to the pinnacle, to the peak where you can never be distracted, you could still get more and more pretty strongly on this one point. So you don't get distracted very much. Or when it does happen, it doesn't last for very long, you're just right back. Okay, so that's this exclusive form of samadhi. Basically, if you take it to the end point, as I said, you, 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 there won't be any other experiences other than just what, that one point that you're concentrating on. If you took it far enough, I doubt any of us, maybe somebody here's experienced that, but it, that's really getting quite far along to do this. Um, what actually happens is normally in our lives there's a whole flow of experiences happening, sights, sounds, body sensations, just the whole range of our experiences in the body and in the mind. The flow of experience stops because you're so one-pointed on a point, right? You get the idea? Even if you can't experience what it is, but you understand intellectually what I'm saying? The flow of experience stops. If you took it all the way, there's another very different style of samadhi, of undistractedness, that's just, you can take it just as far as what I've talked about, but it's actually qualitatively very different. Rather than the, you get so locked on a point that the flow of experience stops, you can, it's, the, it's hard to describe, but I'm gonna, let me just say it and I'll, I'll try to explain. The mind stops, but the, all the flows of experiences are still happening. Don't ask me what the mind is. That's, I don't know what the mind is. But there's an experience of the mind being perfectly present, undistracted, unmoving, clear, just as still and undistracted, but it's open and inclusive. It's not an exclusive awareness. It's an inclusive awareness because all the other experiences are coming and going, even, even though underneath that, there's this still present mind. It never gets, it's also completely undistracted. 
but you get the difference here. Even though you, if you haven't experienced it, you might be wondering, well, what would that be like? But I'm just, and if you haven't experienced these things, it's hard to, to, to know any experience if you haven't actually had the experience, right? It doesn't matter what it is. If you actually haven't, you know, if someone said, here, taste this sweet drink and you've never had it, you can't actually know the experience of it, even though they could describe it. But the basic point I want to get across here is these two types of undistractedness, concentrated exclusively on a point and you lose everything else, or just still and present, undistracted, but actually quite open as all different kind of experiences come and go. That's an important distinction that doesn't get made a lot, but it's actually an important distinction. If you practice the, say, at a place like Spirit Rock or many other places, and I'll just make a sort of a, a general statement about the insight meditation scene in this country, if I will. And this is a generalization, so it's, any generalization is not 100% true, but it's roughly true you will find that there's a range of ways that people talk about concentration. Many teachers hardly talk about concentration, samadhi, at all. They are, they'll just talk about mindfulness, mindfulness, everything's mindfulness. That's the emphasis. And the idea being is, is if you just are mindful moment, moment by moment the best you can, whether using the some people might have you stay a lot with some object like the breath, or some may, may not even want you to fix on any object, just being moment to moment mindful with whatever's predominant in your experience. There's lots of different ways it's taught. We're not going to get into the different techniques tonight so much. But the idea is the mind will naturally learn to settle down. You don't, you don't need to worry about concentration. You just practice mindfulness knowing that the, by doing that, coming back moment by moment when you wander away, keep coming back to the present moment, the mind will get trained and will learn to settle and be less distracted. That's one way you'll hear people talk a lot here, here, and lots of other places. The other end of the spectrum is there'll be teachers who'll say, no, 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 you've got to focus on getting concentrated. It's so important. You've got to do practices that will specifically generate samadhi in these different forms that I'm talking about. And if you don't do it, you're not, you're doing a big disservice to yourself because using the example I just used, it's like if you don't have good samadhi and you're trying to practice mindfulness, the mind's just scattered. You need to really be more settled and present and clear. So you got to focus a lot on uh, Samadhi. And then there's people like me that are kind of in the middle, which I'll explain more later. I actually think Samadhi's a real big deal. And I don't think you've got to get anything. I'll explain. There's no got to get. You just get what you get in the moment. But let's practice in a way that heads us towards, you know, less distraction in the mind. So there's lots of different ways people teach. It's, they're all good. There's not a right or wrong. One way is not a better way than another. It's just what way do we relate with or connect with the best for us? And it's going to vary. That's why there's such a range. So in the insight meditation scene, what you'll normally hear from almost all the teachers is there's these two different paths of practice. There's insight meditation and then 
concentration meditation is something different than insight meditation. And it's important to do that sometime to support your insight, but in fact, it's two different things. And you know, for example, here at Spirit Rock, in April, they have a retreat called the Concentration Retreat. So that tells you right away that that's something different than all the other retreats, which are Vipassana Insight Meditation Retreats. They're, they're calling it something different. And the idea being if you, because the way most people understand concentration and they've been taught is that first way I told you, which was what I call exclusive one-pointed. Even if you don't take it all the way, you're heading in a direction where we're mostly interested in the states of being concentrated itself, being calm. There's all kinds of experiences that can come, can feel blissful. I'm going to come back to that in a bit, but lots of experiences that can come. But, you can't, but, but if you get so one-pointed, you can't do what's called insight meditation. Because for insight meditation, you have to have changing experiences. That's a big feature of what we call insight meditation. And if you get so exclusively concentrated, like I was talking about before, remember I said you can't, you kind of, ultimately you would lose the experience of changing phenomena, right? Are you all hanging in with me so far here? Yes. Okay. Right. So then it's true, you can't, you can't do insight practice because to do insight, as we had talked about a little earlier, classically insight meditation means you have insights into what are called the three characteristics of, well, they're actually called three characteristics of existence, so it's kind of a heavy-duty name. But what it means is the three characteristics are impermanence. That's what's true of just our world. Anything in our bodies, our minds, the internal, external world, impermanence is a, right? Or we see into unsatisfactoriness, or we often use the word suffering. Because things are changing, if we try to cling on to things, we're either going to suffer in the moment or we're setting up the seeds of potential future suffering because we're trying to hold on to things that are, that are bound to change. You know, if we're identified with our bodies, which most of us are, what's going to happen? Well, I look around, we're all at different ages here. Some of you were younger. I'm not the oldest in the room, but I'm probably heading in that direction. So, you know, when I look in the mirror and I see a 56-year-old face looking back and wonder, where did my youth go? What happened? Right. For those of you who are younger, what do you think is going to happen? One day you're going to look in the mirror and it's like, you know, I think I remember something. It was like 30 years ago. I think there's spirit right there. was some old guy up there, and he was talking about looking in the mirror and wondering where his youth went. Where did mine go? Right? It's not to make us depressed. It's just to see that if we're clinging to our youth or our bodies, we suffer because it inevitably changes. So seeing deeply into the, into the truth of impermanence the idea is not to depress us, but so that there's a, a, a non-clinging or a letting go or liberation of the mind that happens. And we learn to live more in peace just in the midst of the way things are, which is changing. We're not clinging and holding on to things so much. We see into the truth of uh, selflessness 
or what's sometimes called no self, and we're not going to get into that much tonight, but just to say if everything's changing, if everything's impermanent, that also applies to our own being. And part of what we're doing is looking deeply into the nature of our own being to see what's really true about it. We see there's no permanent essence in, in here, that what we are, as someone once said, we're, we're not nouns, we're verbs. We do exist, but what we are is just a collection of changing phenomena that's come together. There's no permanent essence in there. So these are all things that we start to see. I know I'm throwing these out quickly, and it could be stirring up a lot. Actually, I think the three characteristics will be talked about in the third semester of Essential Dharma, because it wasn't in the first one. I don't. Yeah, it's in the third semester. For those of you who are coming back, we spent a lot of time on these. So insight is, is, I use the word seeing, but you can, it doesn't have to be through the visual. Seeing, knowing, understanding, getting it really deeply, these truths in the service of a liberation of mind. So we need to touch in with changing phenomena. And what can happen in these deep concentration states is you can just go into these states of many, many ways as experience, but it can be, say, for example, just pure bliss, and you're just in bliss. And in the moment while you're in there, you're not experiencing change. It's just pure bliss. And it's great when you experience these things. But those experiences come and go. So where people sometimes will kind of warn you about, don't practice all these concentration practices, be careful, that's not insight, is what they're saying is, is that you can cultivate these meditative states. They're important. They're a big deal. They're really there and they're accessible to every one of us. And sometimes what actually often what happens is we meditate in order to have those states because they're so intensely pleasant. But like everything, they're impermanent. They're inherently unsatisfying. They're not self because they come and go. You can't permanently enter a state like that. And so you need to come out of those states and then turn the mind to this other kind of practice that's called insight meditation, which is usually talked about as just bringing mindfulness moment to moment to, what, to the, whatever's happening in our experience. And the, the value of having done those concentration practices as a separate kind of practice is it, uh, then the mind is sharp and clear and we have that undistractedness. So even when we come out of it, we're in a, in a less strong state of concentration. We've kind of backed out of it. So now we can feel our bodies again. We can hear sounds, we can have thoughts and emotions, and then we can turn the mindfulness in, into that. And that's insight meditation. So there's these two paths of meditation. Okay. Now there's one more thing I need to say about this. So I, I'm aware of clipping along pretty quickly here because it just uh, we only have so much time. It's a big topic. Let me stop for a moment. Is this making sense, what I'm saying? Yes. Mostly? I don't see anybody, no, any no's out there? Okay. It's not that complicated, but you get the idea, right? So this is what you'll hear. There's insight meditation. There's other thing called concentration. I'm summing up here. And concentration is separate because if you take it far enough, it's more about the meditative state itself that you go into, and you, right? And it's different than insight meditation. One more piece I have to add to fill in that picture. Can I ask one question? Yes, go ahead and ask a question. But still, like on the Eightfold Path, there is the step of concentration. I'm coming back to the Eightfold okay. Path in a minute. So I haven't talked about the Samadhi on the Eightfold Path yet, but I'm okay. going to do that. Okay. I'm just trying to give you a general background because okay. there's another piece I haven't gotten to yet that complicates the picture just a little bit. Okay, so it's, okay. that was fine to ask that question. 
Okay, I don't want to get too much into questions. Go ahead. Yes. Is that what separates Zen Buddhism from Vipassana, would you say? No, that's a big question. I'm not going to be able to get into it now. I can chat with you offline, but I would not say that. He's asking if that separates Zen from Vipassana, and so that's a, a whole other topic. Okay. If you take this concentration path far enough and go into this one-pointed concentration, you enter meditative states, and you should at least know this term that are called jhana. It's J-H-A-N-A, jhana. The word jhana literally means uh, to meditate, but it has a very specific meaning almost all the time. It's very specific states. It's the deepest states of samadhi, and there I'm not going to get into talking about them much tonight, but but their states characterized by uh, really a, a, an, an utter undistractedness. When you come to the peak of undistractedness, when you're in jhana, the mind cannot wander off. It's happening effortlessly. We can, if we have time, we could talk about the state more. And then depend, there's these four jhanas that are laid out, subtler and subtler states. And... Um, they, um, they're characterized by bliss and this intense pleasantness and equanimity. And there's all the, and anyway, it's the deepest states of samadhi where all these, many of the meditative states that you, kind of the cliches of meditation come out of these states. And if you want more about that, there's books in the bookstore here. That was what my book gets into that, other things like that, if you wanted to explore that more deeply. Okay. What I've basically said, and, and really we just barely brushed on it, so we didn't have time to give it really the, the to go into it fully, but you've just kind of heard that. Everything I've just told you actually comes out of, you know, our tradition comes out of what's called Theravada Buddhism, which is, what we, we've talked about that a little bit, it's the style of Buddhism predominantly in Thailand, Sri Lanka, Burma, maybe Laos, Cambodia, some in those countries. And its, it's, it's texts were preserved in the Pali language. And of the schools of Buddhism that existed within a short time after the Buddha died, there's a number of them. They all died out except for one, Theravada Buddhism. And it's the one It's obviously must have changed over the centuries, but it's the one that survived from the early schools. All these other schools, I'm not saying they're any less or less authentic or they're not real, but they're just, just so you know, historically, they were later developments, all the Mahayana Zen and Tibetan and all that. So our tradition, it's influenced by all these other traditions, but it's kind of the root of it comes out of this Theravada Pali language tradition. And one of the things you should know is, is that there's what are called the suttas, S-U-T-T-A-S, suttas in Sanskrit, sutra, sutras uh, in Pali, suttas. Those are the, the original teachings that were preserved. They probably changed a lot since, the, since you know, they came out of the Buddha's mouth, but that was the original preserved. And then there was a whole body of commentaries that developed over many centuries that culminated in this one important work that came out about a thousand years after the Buddha died. In case you're interested, it's a, it's a tongue twister of a name. You'll probably never remember it, but it's called the, with a V, Vasudhimaga. Very, very important book that pulled together this commentarial understanding. Everything that I've told you so far tonight 
is not what comes out of the original suttas. It's actually what comes out of that, this later commentarial tradition and their understanding of there's these two paths and one is concentration that takes all the way to jhana and we have to have this separate path called insight meditation because if you go into this kind of jhana you can't do insight as we've been saying you've got to come out and switch to this other path or you don't ever have to do concentration you just go straight to insight and you never talk about jhana or concentration much which is our scene is the pure insight path and notice people don't talk about these jhana states and much around here if you go back to the suttas, it's a different scene. It's a different understanding. So now I'm going to give you a second understanding. What I'm about to say is controversial. It is correct, what I'm about to say. <laughs> Remember earlier I told you I have a lot of opinions? What, what I'm not saying, what, what I'm very clearly not saying is that, that one is better or r more right than the other because these different ways that people practice, people clearly have gone very deep in all of these different ways. But the suttas, the original suttas are different than the later commentarial understanding. Clearly. They're two different systems. If you go back to the original suttas, when they were talking about samadhi and concentration, they were talking about the second kind, not exclusive one-pointed but an undistracted mind that's open and inclusive. That was the original suttas we're talking about. Different kind of samadhi, just as deeply concentrated. All the bliss and the pleasant, all the experiences are still there, but you can still feel the body and hear sounds and everything. It's a different kind. It's not, it's not less concentrated. It's a different kind of concentration. And... The Buddha did not divide meditation into two separate paths of concentration and insight. There's no place that he did that. That only exists in the later commentaries. And the reason for that is, is because he wasn't talking about, even if you took it all the way as far as you could take it, you don't get to this one-pointed, narrow, exclusive concentration where you can't do insight. If you take that concentration from the original suttas all the way, the mind becomes still, but you're more connected with change. The insight is happening right in with the concentration together. They're not separated out. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Yeah, we're going to have a little time for questions but because I know I'm going fast. And it just so happens that this second, I happen to practice and teach in the second style I'm talking about. It's not better than any other style. When I'm here at Spirit Rock, you know, I have taught, I don't know, 20 retreats here. I teach in, in that style. But really on my own, just so that I, I actually practice in a different style where, the, where they, they're not separated out. Even if you take some, even if you go all the way into jhana, it's a different jhana. There's actually two different jhana systems out there. And in this style of practice, you don't have to tell people, well, don't do concentration practice because you're not doing insight. We're not separating them out so much. It's different. So there's a lot of detail I couldn't go into there, but the main thing I wanted to say to you is that there's sort of these two understandings out there. There's the understanding that has these two separate paths and a concentration where you can't do insight. There's a whole understanding out there where they're synthesized into one thing. Even though concentration and insight aren't the same thing, mindfulness, they're different. It's part of one practice. If when Joseph Goldstein and Sharon Salzberg and Jack Kornfield and others first came back from Asia and started teaching in this country in the early 70s, they had practiced with a number of different teachers. 
But the style they started teaching in was heavily influenced by this one great Burmese master named Mahasi Sayadaw. And he came out of this commentarial tradition with these two paths. And they started teaching the pure insight meditation style, Mahasi influenced by the, where you're not emphasizing the concentration so much because their understanding is there's a different kind of concentration where you can't do insight. If they had happened to come influenced by many, many of the other teachers they might have found in Thailand or wherever, our whole scene would look completely different. So it's just, I don't know if there's accidents out there, but I want to say an accident of history, but it's just, just the way the turn of history went. There's many, many, many people out there on both of these different approaches. And the good news is you don't have to worry about it. You can just practice however either you're taught or if you're interested or what you like because they all seem to work. That's the good news. You can't go wrong. So it's really good news. The only thing that people could, will be wrong about out, they'll say, oh, but that's wrong and this is right. No, no, this is right and that's wrong. It's not true. We clearly have people, you can meet them and study with them, who clearly have gone very deep practicing in all these different ways. The reason I just gave you all that background is when we now come to talk about right samadhi of the Eightfold Path, if you just have one understanding and you don't understand different ways, you're, it's going to bend how you talk about right samadhi. So right samadhi in the Pali Suttas is always defined clearly as the four jhanas. It's not like just have good concentration. It says, right samadhi is the four jhanas, which I didn't get to explain much, but I meant to, just touched on what these are, those deepest states of concentration. Well, that's a little complicated. First of all, how many of us have jhana? So do we all have wrong samadhi? No. The way to understand right samadhi isn't that it has to be jhana. It culminates in the four jhanas. But right samadhi is actually always right samadhi wherever you're at, as long as it's influenced with right, the other factors of the path, right view, right understanding, right? Right thought or right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness. As long as those are coming in, then it's, it's right samadhi wherever we're at. So the, the, the best way to think of it is it culminates in the four jhanas. It gets a little tricky for the people who divide it into two paths because um, then it's like, well, the, the suttas are telling me I'm supposed to get right samadhi of the Eightfold Path, but when I'm doing that, I can't do insight. I'm supposed to come out to some lower level of samadhi to do insight meditation. This is where it gets tricky, the, the different ways people will talk about uh, right, understanding right samadhi. If you, if you take concentration to the point where you, you still can, the mind is undistracted, but you're still inclusive of all experiences, then you can take it all the way even to these four jhanas, and you still... The insight's just happening right in there. You don't, they don't separate it out in a separate practice. The mindfulness, the concentration, it's all right in, inside. It's all right there together.